Welcome to What We Will Abide. I'm Sam Schindler. About a year ago, I did an interview with my father. I called it American Cynic. It was largely about his time in Vietnam and the resulting ideological sea change that he underwent since his return. That interview was largely made possible by surgery my father had had and the fact that as a result, he had to lie motionless on a couch for five days. This past spring, my father had surgery again, this time of a more invasive nature. So once again, I found myself taking care of him as he convalesced at home. Our conversation ranged from the political to the personal. And so, I give you American Cynic Part 2, and in an ensuing episode, American Cynic Part 3. I'm trapped in a, in a, uh, in a down position here. I'm attached to 47 different catheters. So, if I don't laugh, it's because I can't laugh because I have a little surgery here. But we'll bring that up later. You've you've come through it with flying colors, though, as as you normally do. I do. I've had forty seven different procedures. That's what they're called today. Procedures. Nobody says you know surgery. I don't know why. And uh, yes, I come through these things. This one is particularly irritating because of carrying around metal objects from your parts. So hopefully you, you can feel free to be as um graphic as you like. It's a mature audience. My pecker is being pointed toward North Dakota, which is <laughs> not that much fun. Okay, I'll end it at that, at that note. Okay. Is there any further questions? <laughs> I'm not even going to mention Trump until later, because I think if his pecker was pointing toward North or South Dakota, then I'd be a happy man. But his pecker is pointed toward North Dakota because he's going to use it to ram through the you know Dakota Access Pipeline. It's, it's going to actually his it. penis. He's going to get the Lakota Indians are going to get him with an arrow right in the forehead. That would his, be that would be in his orange head. Which would put a kibosh on, uh, you know, it, would, so, it wouldn't change his thought process. <laughs> Since we're talking about presidents and policy. My favorite president was Garfield. Well, but I'm I, just I, as an aside. You did live through the Garfield. I did. I was there during the Garfield administration. For some reason, the previous episode which featured you I, seemed to be very popular amongst a number of people. As you know, my, my podcast is tremendously world-renowned. I've heard. I've there heard it. Probably 13 or 14 people. I've heard it. One of whom lives in England, so that does make me international. You are an international podcaster. And your sister liked it, too. Right. She did. So, And your brother-in-law. So for whatever reason, um, people seem to be interested in your episode, so I figured we would do a sequel. Okay, I'm, I'm and it, ready. It seems to coincide with uh, surgery. <laughs> Surgery that you have, which uh, slows you down. Immobilizes. Right. After the last that. time we talked, it was August. It was prior to um, the election. And obviously, you know, we've 
had a lot of conversations about what transpired. And I thought we get from a very, very old old man such as yourself. I'm the oldest man on earth. Right, where you were alive in the Garfield administration. Right. Um, a pers- Lincoln. <laughs> a perspective on... Only the, only the end of Lincoln. <laughs> a perspective on 12 presidential administrations, which basically goes back to Roosevelt, which was, in all truth, uh, the, I guess, probably... Mm, not Roosevelt, Truman, which goes all the way back to Truman. I was alive during uh, uh, Roosevelt's administration. Sure, but you were most, you were conscious during the, well, presumably conscious during the Truman administration. That was your first sort of presidential administration. A lot of people don't know this about Truman, yeah. that he was an anti-Semite. This, I'm not making this stuff up. They found, after he died, a diary where he made mention of his anti-Semitic thoughts. However, he did do some good things during his you know, tenure. I'm just bringing it up so the general public, it's like Schindler's List. A lot of people think Schindler did some good things and A, he wasn't Jewish. B, why was he in a concentration camp in the first place? And the reason was to make money. I'm just putting this in Are you going to, you should probably write the definitive um, rewriting of the right. hagiographic history of Oscar Schindler. And he had the list. To after, combat the Keneally book. Right after the war and he asked them for money and they gave it to him. He was not a good businessman, he blew it all. So What do you what do you blow it on? The usual wine women and so on. It's so it's blow it, money on so on. Anyway. You, it so happens that a friend of mine who you know actually who may or may not listen to this one, uh, he did work either in, in college or post uh, baccalaureate work on, on Truman and Israel. And he happens to be one of the people I know who is most well-informed about Truman and the Israel lobby. Uh, and there's there's a lot to be a lot to be said there. Um, he was actually, as it turns out, pretty pro-Israel. The quote is: "There are all these Jewish groups, lobbying groups in and around D.C. by the mid '40s, who had his ear. And by 1946, you know, the midterm elections." He was actually interested in um, what they had to say because they were a more formidable voting block. And uh, the quote goes, you know, well, there aren't 100,000 Arabs who have my ear, so I don't really give a shit what they think. I'll, I'll, I'll you know, go with the pander side, the but Jews. I'll pander to the Jews. So it's an interesting sort of dichotomy there, you and your... I, I'm sure that he was just as anti-Semitic as the and he had next and he, haberdasher had, from Missouri. Um, but... He there was he played was playing politics as right, and he had guys around him who were anti-Semitic, and also understood the situation. So they, even though they they let their anti-Semitism stay, sort of sotto voce. Here we are in this seemingly pivotal point in time um, in terms of politics and you know history, certainly socioeconomically. Um, given the wealth divide in the country and certainly sort of socio-religiously with the, in, in terms of um, you know, the approach towards uh, immigrants, refugees, be they from Islamic countries or from um, Latin countries or elsewhere. So I just, I would like, if we could do like a survey, like an overview of, and I say 12 administrations that you've lived through, which is more than most people. Most people. And I, we don't have to go president by president, but like we just think about in terms of 
what you've seen as um, as we've established as the oldest American, what you've seen in terms of like from your perspective, um, uh, from a policy perspective, like is there an arc and and how does it inform where we are today or how where we are today is is it a departure from an arc is there an arc there is, yes. are there any high high points low points so what do you how do you see the political uh, the politi- trajectory the, of the United the States the political spectrum for me i grew up i was in the mid 50s which i think was a seminal period for america because we became after the second world war and we were un untouched by the war, where Europe was devastated, Russians were devastated, everybody uh, basically, to put it in the vernacular, got the shit kicked out of them, except us. We did send people, people did get killed, but our land mass was not affected at all. So we were unaffected by really what happened in the war, and the world changed when American, the American troops came home. So in the 50s, America changed. The people moved from the uh, from the big cities into the suburbs. Automobiles became more popular. Most people didn't have them in the forties, so it really changed the face of America during Eisenhower's administration. And then it went from that period to a series of real political entities who were just involved in maintaining power. And the United States went along with that war after war after war, uh, idiotic wars in, in places, Vietnam, killing people in Cambodia, killing people all over the world. And we have continued that to the point where we have now elected a complete idiot and moron to be president of the United States. Now, you would have thought the country had a little more intelligence than to do this. They don't. It's a racially driven country. And the money part of it, where people in the Midwest and whatever, the Rust Belt, you could do all of that stuff. Even with that, I mean, this is idiotic. So now you have a potential where crazy people are in possession of power. Anything could happen. I remember the first thing watching on television was the Army McCarthy hearings. And that proved that the U.S. government, in the power of a another idiot in McCarthy, and Eisenhower was afraid to deal with it. He did not want to bother it. He, he was afraid of McCarthy. And it was, again, maintaining power, maintaining the position. And from that point, McCarthyism, really, if you go back even toward Nixon, Nixon got elected in 1946 using red baiting. The Republican Party lost five elections in a row, starting from uh, Roosevelt. And they had to come up with some issue in order to, to become, you know, maintain power. And that issue was communism. There's a communist under your bed, and they used McCarthy. And that followed. And they've used other ridiculous things like gay rights and abortion and things that are not really, they're tangential issues. They don't really matter. Most people don't care. But they've used them, and they've used them successfully. This guy used you know, make America great again. I, exactly what does that mean? I still don't know. And he wears that stupid hat, and he wears his hat, his tie down to his shoes, which, I again, I don't get. Now, the only problem I really have with him, besides him being stupid, is you have all this money, in theory. Get a suit that sort of fits. Am I asking a lot here? What? Uh, 
you um, you talk. The moderator is not supposed to laugh. I'm sorry. I will try yeah, to maintain my composure. Okay. Um, from a personal perspective, like from somebody growing up, like if you, we were talking a lot yesterday about like, you know, what your childhood was like, and we had like certain highlights, certain moments that you recalled. You talked about how, for some strange reason, your father, who was out there, to say the least, was an early adopter of of certain technological advancements, like a car. You were the first... He needed that for business, though. But you also had the first television. Yes, in the block, which was not like him. Okay, so there was, like, what I'm trying to get at is, like, how you... So, go ahead. I think... Now, my father was a difficult man. However, he was smart. So, even at that period, which was in the late 40s, early 50s, he could see the changes coming. Not that he had the ability to do anything about it, because his background was such that he was hampered by it in order to do that. But he could see the changes coming. And I, I think that was an important part of it. It was rudimentary stuff. Look, no one on the block had a car, except there may be a couple of people. No one had a television. It was a, just a totally different period. You've got to remember this is the early 50s. And then we went to Korea and another stupid war. It was ongoing. And, the, and for me, growing up in that period, America is the greatest country in the world. Now, come on. No one in their right mind believes that anymore. People still want to come here because they used to have some freedoms which are now going to be taken away. So it was a seminal period in the American, in, in America. You benefited from that. I mean, you, you, the life that you're describing is a life that you actually led. I mean, you grew up in the Bronx, right. then you moved to New Jersey, and you lived, you know, I don't, I don't actually know where you lived. I lived in a two-family house in New Jersey. We lived in the top floor of, in Union, New Jersey, which was, which was middle America. It was Ohio. That lifestyle, the life of plenty that you were describing, the life of life. Well, I wouldn't call it plenty. We had enough. We had we had a, a place to live. We had a car. We had what to eat. We had a television. We were I think living. That's plenty for most. We were living people. the Amer- not the American dream, but we were able to you know day to day things were okay. We weren't worried about anything. Now things have changed so drastically, in my view anyway. Because you have, you know, the small percentage of rich people and then everybody else scrambling around to try to survive. That's why this idiot has become president as part of it. Um, And really, I do believe, I mean, I don't like to say this, but the country in the last 40, 45 years has been tremendously dumbed down. And it's mostly people watch television. That's the Trump, you know, the Trump show which was idiotic anybody with an IQ above 30 to sit through that I uh, I don't understand it but that drives the country now nobody reads a paper or or anymore that they get all their news from the from the uh, television and so everybody has their own agenda every person who's in in charge of that and so therefore people really don't know what's happening or care I did growing up think you know this was the, the country would go forward and things would improve and there'd be more freedoms. Don't forget, I was still a kid. Well, actually, not that much of a kid in 1964 when voter registration and all, you know. Think about it for a second. In modern times, in my lifetime, black people had no rights. They didn't, they weren't allowed to 
They were not basically free people. So that happened during my lifetime. And now they're going to try to take them down. How does that... So this is like this. That's what's driving the hatred. How do we go from the, you know, the Civil Rights Act, right? Acts, the Voting Rights Act and desegregation of the schools. How do we go from that at that period of time in the mid-1960s? To this. To this. I, that's something that I, I mean, I, I intellectually understand, um, but it, it... All right. I, I think I have the lost. answer to that. Okay. The racism, the endemic racism in the United States never went away. It was always there. But people hit it. And the government did certain things that were positive in order legally, because these are legal elements, to let people achieve a certain amount of freedom. But in the heartland and in doesn't really matter where, people still have that racist drive. Whether they're rich, whether they're white, whether they're, you know, depends on whatever position they hold in society. But I think that drive never went away and it capped out with Obama. They never got over Obama being a black man president of the United States and it drove this, partially drove this election and it's driving what's going on now. And it's going to get very contentious because the other side is going to fight back and not like they used to. So uh, it's going to be a very difficult period over the next couple of years as they try to pass legislation. They have all the power. And that's what politics really has boiled down to, holding the power, maintaining the power. They don't care what they do. It's just holding on to the power. It's endemic racism driven into the American psyche, and I don't think you're ever, ever going to get past that. So what are the next um, four years, five years, ten years look like? I, you know, just be sort of like draw with well, uh, a colorful pen how you foresee. I foresee the next four years being very contentious. They're going to pass stuff that, that's going to be very damaging to a certain portion of the population. You know, the reason the stock market and all that other crap is up, you know, the tax thing, that's what all the, the people who have money, that's what they're, they're banking on, that the, the stock market will stay up. Now, I don't know, I'm not an economist, I'm the last person who can comment on it, but I doubt whether it'll stay up over time. And you're going to have the other side, which is more than half the country. We don't want this. This is not the country we grew up in. We're going to fight this. And I think you're going to have stuff going on in the streets like you had during the Vietnam War, only escalated, ratcheted up to a, a higher degree. Now, I'm not 100% sure of that because people fold up and become nothing very quickly and very easily. So what are the protests? look? So you say there's going to be stuff in the streets. What does it look like? What are the results going to be? They're going to come and bust heads just like they did in 1968. And then the demonstrations are going to be pulled back. People are not going to want to get hurt. And we're not in a war, so it changes the dynamic to some degree. Are we going to be in a war? I don't, I don't think so. I, don't, I think the next war will be the last war. And even as stupid as this man is, the rest of the world understands what can happen. Look, everybody fears us because of our military. We have enough nuclear weapons to eliminate the world 10 times over. So that, that has become a non-issue. But 
here's a man who is you know not completely in his right mind. So that's the fear that's out there, and it might work to our advantage in some places. Look, the Chinese they don't they they're, they're trying to figure it out economically because they're running into the same problems we had. Mm. So it's it's going to be a very strange and difficult period over the next two or three years. Uh, 1960. Let's look at 1960. Um, when Kennedy gets elected, what was your reaction to that, where you were standing as a 20-year-old? Oh, my generation, the people I knew, thought this was the greatest thing that ever happened. This would change the world. Everything would go positively. We would step forward. We would lead and we would uh, things would get very go what, very well. What did things going positively look like? Economics, uh, basically, no real wars. Even though we started, you know, shortly after Kennedy became president, we started to escalate. But but my generation thought this was the panacea. This was going to be the way the world should be run, and it turned out not to be. So he trace got, that then. Trace all right. Kennedy, Kennedy, the fall. Kennedy. From Camelot. Kennedy probably didn't really, he was young. He didn't really have any exper- real experience. Didn't really see what was happening. Now the old hands in Europe, and they, they knew. It's very similar to now to what uh, Trump thinks he can deal with, Trump, with Putin. Now that's, a, that's like a comedy act. Putin is going to pee all over him. I mean, it's, it's, it's a joke. So th- that period, we were uh, thought this was going to be the perfect, This would, the world would now turn around and things would go right. We were wrong. So you were uh, saying he was too young, too inexperienced, too naive. Inex- inexperienced, yeah. And what happened? Well, we know, I mean. We know what happened. He, he look, the Russians kept testing us during that period. The Bay of the the missile crisis, um, which which were just testing us. I don't think they were ever really. Although it, 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 seeing documentaries and stuff it came pretty close, you know they were putting in uh, stuff in uh, in Cuba, and he, he he didn't really know what what to what he was going to do. Turned out, you know, we made the right decision. The Russians pulled back because that's what they did at that period. They just tested us, tested us. And then they decided we don't we don't really want to go to war over this. This isn't uh, where, we're at, where it's going to happen. But if you follow the, the historical period over the next ten years, they kept ticking away at us. We went to Vietnam. They supplied uh, arms to the Vietnamese. Every place we went, they were there just to kept keep ticking away at us. And basically, for them, and then of course, several years down the road, they came apart. But that was the that was the theory, and Kennedy, you know, he only lasted three years, so you don't really know what what would have happened. Johnson, on the other hand, if you look at it historically, would have gone down as probably top three presidents in history. He couldn't get past the war. I don't want to be the last president, the first president to lose a war, and that drove his policy. But he did get Kennedy's. That legislation through civil rights, a lot of things got passed that Kennedy would have had difficulty with. So there are a lot of factors at play here, but it was a different period. People were different. So we're in the mid-60s right now, and with Johnson, 
Uh, and your take is Johnson didn't want to be seen as a president who lost an American war. But he did see what, what was happening. He understood, but he couldn't get past that. And there was nobody. It's like any cabinet. I think George Ball was the only one to stand up and say, this is a tremendous mistake. We have to stop it. And everybody else said, no, no, we're going down the right road. And we kept losing men in 1967 when um, uh, Secretary of Defense um, left, quit his post. We lost 25,000. We had been up to 25,000. We kept putting troops in, and we wound up losing almost 60,000. Nixon, who was the all-time piece of shit, um, didn't care. He just he just kept going with it, and proving the point that these guys are only self-aggrandizing. They only want to maintain power. They don't care how they do it, or whose lives are lost, or what happens to the country. When Kennedy was killed, I was in dental school, and my roommate and I, who who was an Irishman from Massachusetts, and his cousin was in the administration. We were sitting at a bar, and we said, the country is never going to be the same. This is the, the sea change that has happened, and it's just going to get much more difficult to get anything accomplished. And that's exactly what happened. People went out in the streets. They didn't go out in the streets so much anti-war, I think. They went out because they didn't want to get drafted. And so what happened as the war went on, they became accountants, they became lawyers, you know, all of that stuff. So, yes, they did do a positive thing by, by you know, attacking Nixon and whatever, but it didn't save any real lives. The war ended in 1975. So either you, you know, you, you sort of, I mean, because there's, there's like a tension here, which is like, you know, we were in Vietnam even before the Kennedy administration uh, sort of rose to power um, or coalesced in early 1961. We already had, you know, like a security force in Vietnam, and he wasn't in any Advisors, way. Advisors, they called it. Yeah, we weren't in any shape. He wasn't in any way, shape, or form uh, interested in, in drawing that down. Those are myths. But even so, the the kind of the the shared experience was. True or not, he was a voice for change, and that voice was silenced. That, that was our mentality. That's what we felt, or the youth of America, or the educated youth of America. Look, the country has changed. People of color will outnumber the white man. That's part of the battle. That's why Trump got elected, because it's their, they're kicking and screaming the end of their, their power. So up to Nixon, you... Um, Obviously, had only uh, the most, the highest of admiration for Tricky Dick. Now you're looking at your uh, sort of a different, a different landscape. You know, for yourself, even though I think you'd agree that you still sort of reap the benefits of whatever um, America had to offer. Yeah, um, you were looking at things a little bit differently, and so now we're in the you know 1972, 1973. Um, so why don't we take it from there, and I'll just, you know, I'll throw like a little uh, lob out there, and I'll say what, Watergate scandal, elections, you know, that kind of thing. Like, where was your thinking at that point? Nixon goes as a result of, you know, of, of Watergate and, and the things that he had done. His chief advisor was Henry Kissinger, who is, he's still alive, 
He's only three feet tall, but he's still alive. He's actually five foot nine. I don't think so. It, it's, I think that's he, a myth. I looked it up. He's five foot nine. But any, he isn't even close to five foot nine. If you would like to place money I could on put this. put him in my pocket. The if, man, you, if you would like to place money on this. That they put. All right. I'm telling you the man is five two. Honestly. Maybe four seven. <laughs> anyway, packed into that four feet seven is the most onerous human being who ever lived. Trump is stupid. Kissinger wasn't. And yet lauded, I mean, universally. And also a war criminal in many countries. So Many countries, many countries. So, and, he, and, and, and here's the part that bothers me more than anything else. He did it to maintain his own power. He knew it was wrong. He was not a stupid man. He did it because he wanted to maintain power. And not only after Nixon left, he remained as security advisor after to other presidents and he's still lauded as you know an elder statesman now even though he is three feet tall he <laughs> tricking as this conversation goes he you know that period was this for me realizing this was the way the country was going to go you had a Nixon then you had a couple of non-entities as president look Jimmy Carter I have no real ill will I mean he basically didn't get anything accomplished. The economy went in the toilet. Plus, if uh, the Republicans had actually run Reagan in 76, he would have won. Probably. Now, Reagan, that's another myth. You know, this this lauding Reagan. Reagan, if you look at what he did, he ruined the country. How did he ruin the country? He took all the, all the regulations away, and they were able to, and then the banking industry and all of, all of that were able to do whatever the hell they want, which culminated in a near depression which would have made 1928 look like a joke. And he also was brain dead his second term because he was Alzheimer's out and didn't know who he was. So the country, going back to my original theory, the country runs on its own. He knew, he knew enough to try and, uh, you know, to smother out. Plus, the, the, he should have gone to jail over Iran-Contra. So, well, I was going to say, he was, he was with it enough to try to smother well, that was, rebels. He, and, right, and, and you know, he was... Yeah, rebels' guns for money, whatever. So Snuff from, out the from that period, we we then went on into uh, Bush, senior, who wasn't a bad man, just again not up to the job, not a real intelligent person. These guys all go to Yale. I, I don't, what are they giving degrees away there now? Yes. Um, so, and his son went there, and the daughters went there. I mean, it's a it's a joke. The, the dog so went there too. the dog went there, I think too. Uh, so anyway, so you had these non-entities as president. Clinton wasn't, but he had his own Michigas problems. He, you know, this stupid business with Lewinsky. Come on, you're president of the United States. You don't do that. And so it it stopped his, his administration, and then she began running for president at that point. Now, was she the greatest candidate of all time? No. Compared to Trump, I mean, she's like Lincoln. So that, you know, I never quite understood that. But they've been bashing her for 20 years and successfully, and they were able to run a, a rodent for, for president. So the, the history started basically going in the toilet with the Vietnam War, and it has never really picked its head up. We've had wars in South America, Central America. We've, we've, we've gone to uh, Iraq. Uh, we've gone all over the place unsuccessfully. It's like uh, we, can't, we, can't, we can't catch a, a win. So, you know, kids keep getting killed. They keep going off to the, the war. Th- this moronic president is now pouring more money into the military. 
And is that going to be, is that the answer? You know, you have the right wing people with IQs in the 30s who, you know, that somehow that that, uh, appeals to them, even though their kids go and get killed. So it's, you know, the, the people who have money and power, kids don't go. It's historic fact. That's the way it works. So the answer is, I think we're just going in the toilet. And the eventual, look, the rest of the world now is laughing at us. We have a joke president and a joke administration. So, look, not that a they're dang- in. Dangerous joke. And, and a, a dangerous joke, joker because he's irrational. Now, they're not any better. Uh, Maybe. The rest of the world. Um, I think if you look at Lund- England, the woman is a lightweight. She's, you know, she's currying favor with uh, with Trump. I mean, that's stupid. Um, you have the Philippines, a country of I don't know ninety million people. They have a complete maniac as president. So Turkey, Russia, right? Putin is just a stone. Right. Uh, Putin is a stone killer. That's just the way it is. Uh, Turkey, the guy, you know, likes the idea of Putin and their buddies, and. The world is headed toward an apocalypse, and there is no way to stop it. That's the part that bothers me more than anything. And when people say, let's give them a chance, Trump, I want to punch him directly in the face because, or shoot him in the face so they won't speak again, because this is what we have here. This is the mentality of the American public. People aren't bad. You know, they would want the right thing, I think, but, but, but the... The overlying r- racial drive of the country is what really is at play. But you said to yourself, though, we cannot go on this way. So, aside from, like you said, the, the impending violence in the streets, what does it look like? What does, um, you know, like the the state of the economy look like? What is the state of? Uh, right. Here's what's going to happen with the economy. I think. For a couple of years, things are going look, all that anybody cares about, everybody reads they, on their iPhone, they read the uh, stock market reports. It's up. It's been up since Trump has been president. You're, you're, you're addicted to that app on your iPhone? No, I don't look at it, but that's what people tell me. Oh, okay. So, that, what do I look at the, the stock market report? You do look at I your don't fo- even know. I don't, you do? You do look at your phone a lot. I look at my phone, but I'm looking for the weather. Except uh, you don't leave the house. Why do you need I, to know the weather? I'm looking for who died this week. John Andre Stutt. There was be nothing to anybody, but it's sad. Johnny Hoops. Anyway, I'm looking at the phone because people send you stuff, and it's embarrassing if you don't answer them. So I don't answer them, just because that's the kind of person I am. Here's what's going to happen. This dickhead is going to remain in president. Everybody says, well, two years he'll be out. He's not going to be out. He's going to maintain power. They're going to cement the power because they still have the House. You think he'll get reelected? I thought there was no chance. Now, this is America. They elected him once. Why wouldn't they elect him twice? They're going to have the Supreme Court. They're going to have the House of Representatives. They're going to have the Senate. They could do, I'm going to say this in the vernacular, they could fucking do anything. They could send out, you know, uh, groups of people, put them in concentration camps. They, they're capable of anything. These are irrational, idiotic rich people. Will those things happen? Will we see the return of, like, Nisai camps but for Muslims? I think so. I think there's a real chance. I mean, I would hope not, but I think there's a real chance. Or mass deportation, deportations. I think that's really... I mean, this nonsense of it about Mexico sending, you know, rapists. Everybody knows that's bullshit, but it's it's continues. So 
I, I my, my right now I think something horrendous could happen. Like what? Somebody fires off a nuclear weapon. Look, there are what, nine or ten countries that have nuclear weapons and probably well, two or three that have more. Yeah, Israel doesn't have them. Quote, right. Quote. Israel has, has, everybody knows Palestine, Israel has. Yeah, yeah. So so you have this happening and you have some schmendricks who are in charge. Schmendrick is a word, uh, if you look up in a dictionary, which means idiot. Who, okay, so there's so, so you're gonna have the picture. S- who Who is the profile picture under the word schmendrick in the dictionary? Trump. It, so, so you're going to have somebody thinking, I can, I, I can really get ahead if I do this. I can use an, a low-level nuclear weapon or a nuclear weapon. Against us? Not against us. Nobody would do that because they would read. It's like this nonsense about Iran, you know, have making a nuclear weapon. And they're going to fire a nuclear weapon at, at us or an ally? How, would they, they'd be reduced to sand in 20 minutes. I mean, everybody, they know that. Former President Bush, this goes back a while now when he was running for president, said, nuclear war can be won. He should have been shot in the face immediately for saying that because it's idiotic. And yet, that's what some people think. This is What We Will Abide, and thank you for listening to American Cynic Part 2. I'm Sam Schindler, and this was yet another interview with my father, Albert Schindler. The final installment of the American Cynic series will be out in just a week. My thanks to Jordan Capizzi for providing music, and of course to my father, who, despite his discomfort, was willing to be his usual genial, humorous, and very honest self. Thank you.